Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we are creating connection through dialogue. In this season, I speak with community leaders and creatives as we explore meaningful topics and the obstacles that they have encountered along their paths. It's inspirational, it's fun, it's complex. On this episode, I sit down with Chris Bowers-Castillo, Will Parkhill, and Michael DiVincenzi of the band Kiltro. Kiltro was originally conceived in Valparaiso, Chile, and is on the rise here in Colorado. They weave beautiful narratives within these large musical soundscapes that can be described as Chilean folk rock. In this interview, we talk all things music, the pursuit of it as a career, how we connect to it, the intimate process that goes into creating it. This band is one of my favorites. They're awesome guys, and as you'll hear, clearly have their hearts in the right place. Check out their music online and go experience their shows. Here is our conversation. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm settling in right now. Cool, cool. Us as well. Yeah, so just for a little background, today I thought I was going to be just interviewing Chris here of Kiltro, and he brought the whole band. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, I'm Chris Bowers Castillo, and uh, I started Kiltro, and this is... Michael DiVincenzi. I played drums in Kiltro. Hello, my name is Will Parkhill, and I play bass and guitar. Cool. And feel free to like, uh, like yell into it, you know, I yell into it. Like I can get, I can get quiet on here. When I interviewed my dad, he was just like real loud. So, and it worked nice. So don't be afraid. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how Kiltro got started? Um, well, like shove that against you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I started Kiltro back when I was living in Chile. I lived in a town called Valparaíso. It's this little kind of bohemian port town. Um, and it was a really inspiring place, very colorful and full of musicians and artists and poets and all sorts of artistic types. I was originally kind of, I wanted to be a musician for a long time, but when it came to Kiltro and like the concept around it, it was sort of, uh, I wanted to make this kind of series of short stories with a bunch of different characters that existed in this one kind of physical location which was Valparaiso and kind of started writing songs around the same time and one of those stories sort of got turned into a song that we that I named Kilcho and then um, later became pretty much the first sort of release of Kilcho it was just like a live video I did but yeah it was it was born in that city and uh, the idea was to merge a lot of different kinds of genres and styles and uh sort of mix folk with some other sort of more experimental soundscapes and things that were directly from sort of my ambient influences and uh yeah so it it was it had you know there was a lot of different sort of ideas and moments that went into it but basically it originated from this idea of like like telling the story of a multitude of perspectives set Mm. in a specific location which is more or less what we did in the more recent album as well take bunch of different songs told from the different perspectives of various kind of characters or instances like within a particular location and then yeah and as for like kilcho there's a chilean word kiltro that means street dog 
uh, and that's, you know, like a mixed breed kind of mutt. And so we, or rather I adopted that name just to sort of draw attention to the mix of styles and also the fact that, you know, I'm of mixed heritage and there was that as well. And it just felt like a great kind of trope to have as a part of the backdrop of, of the music and the kind of world that we were trying to, trying to build. Cool. Yeah. So excuse my ignorance and people will criticize me probably listening to this, but where is Valparaiso? Uh, it's like an hour and a half west of Santiago. That's like the okay. capital of, of Chile. And uh, Santiago is about halfway down the country. Okay. And so set, long and set the right stage. The How old are you like when this comes to you? Like what What are these characters? What are you, what are you finding around you that you feel so inspired by to make music about? Um, Valparaiso itself is just really, it's a very inspiring place. It has a really long kind of interesting history it was this this port town that was this halfway point between the states and europe during the gold rush and so you had a bunch of people from all over the world go there and they settled there and they built mansions there and they had these these kind of districts and and that were you know you have like an italian area and and this like british neighborhood and then a german neighborhood and the names to this day are pretty multicultural and so the architecture is as well when everyone left after the panama canal was built um tons of people kind of moved in who wanted the cheap rent. And a lot of those were mm. artists and musicians and poets. And so it became this kind of like bohemian capital of Chile. And I guess that was definitely something that inspired me a lot. It's kind of a slow moving city. Things get started a little late and it's sort of dirty. It's full of street dogs. There's like one dog for every 10 people or something, which comes out to, I don't know, 20,000 or something. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot. A lot um, of fucking dogs. So yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an inspiring place. And then as for the the stories and the ideas sort of behind the project initially, it was, you know, the idea was to kind of tell a multitude of stories or, or rather versions of, of a singular place, you know, like these different kinds of realities of, of one location. And where originally the unifying factor was going to be sort of the, the location and the description of that location. And then of course the street dogs that were like, as I said, a kind of trope that would carry across, you know, the, the various narratives that translated more into like literal sound textures and sounds that were meant to be analogs for physical things. And, and, you know, the idea was to just kind of paint this picture of a location using sound texture work and ambience and then situate songs within that place. And that was more or less what we tried to do Hmm. with creatures of habit, which was the album that we just came out with. Fantastic album. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I was just blasting it throughout the hospital last half hour. Yeah. I was getting pumped up to talk to you. Yeah. Um, I guess that was the sort of the origins of it. And when were you, when were you living there? Like how old were you? Uh, I was 20. Well, I moved, I think I was, I just turned 22. I want to say, or I was about to turn 22. And how old are you now? I'm 28. Okay. Yeah. So I was there for about four years. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, came to Denver and, uh, and then went to London for a while and then back to Denver, then London again. And then Michael and Will joined the band and not in that order. And, uh, yeah, then it became a band. We've actually really been a band for like eight months, maybe nine months. Damn. Yeah. That's incredible. You guys yeah. have shot up pretty fast. Yeah. It's been, it's been good. Denver's been a really great, you know, really, uh, welcoming and, and warm. <laughs> So when you were in Valparaiso, am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. What was your life like? What were you like at that point? Where were you? Where were you at in your own journey? I guess like at that time, 
I think I'd always wanted to to move to Chile and live in Chile and kind of get back in touch with with my Chilean roots. I think that was always kind of this big absent thing that I hadn't done yet. I'd spent a lot of time in Chile growing up. I'd spent summers there. I'd gone to visit there really frequently and I was really close to my cousins, although I was always kind of the odd one out. And I'm not sure if that was in part a motivator for my going there, but going there was a really important thing to me. And so originally it was going to be like three months, but then I just kind of kept extending it and I just couldn't leave. It was like I wasn't quite done yet. Mm. Um, and you know, I went there first, like with this job, it was, um, I worked at this like resort hotel in, uh, San Pedro de Atacama, which is like all the way in the North of Chile. It's like in the Atacama desert. Okay. Um, and it was a terrible job. Um, (laughs) the manager was pretty awful and the whole, the work environment was really just kind of rough. And, um, we had to walk to work every day. It was like a 45, 50 minute walk in the desert, you know, like five (laughs) in the morning. And like the desert at night is freezing. Like it's really, really cold. And then during the daytime, of course it's really hot. So you walk back carrying all your clothes and it was just like, I don't know. It just wasn't the best. I didn't like it there. (laughs) So the money I saved up there, I thought, all right, I'm going to travel around Chile and then I'm going to, I'm going to go to a bunch of different places. And, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, ended up just quitting that job and then I, I pretty much made it down to Santiago <laughs> because it wasn't that much money I was being paid. So then stayed with my uh, my aunt and uncle for a while and then I uh, went out to Valparaiso and even then it was like I planned on staying there for another three months, maybe another six months. Found a job doing like walking tours there mm. as a part of this company called like Tours for Tips. They all dressed up as Waldos, which down there they call Wally. The rest of the world calls Waldos Wally. Like um, Waldo, like where Wally's. is Waldo? Yeah, like where is Waldo? That's where's Wally? That's what my kids nickname me at work. Yeah, because these glasses. Uh, yeah. I can see. Yeah, it. I'm a very generic looking white guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> but easy to spawn a crowd, or rather, <laughs> right. notably not easy to, <laughs> yeah. to spawn a crowd. Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> um, I was living down there. I was living in like this. Like I said, like Valpo was full of these kind of old mansions, and those had been repurposed for, um, you know, where the owner would rent out rooms individually to different people so when i first got there i lived in this like it was like an old italian mansion and then i had this little tiny room it was like a it, lo- it was like a room inside of like a boat it had like this plywood door and then there was a small staircase and a bed that was like broken in half and just kind of shoved in a corner yeah yeah but it, it was good I, I, there was a clown I was a clown <laughs> And the guy nice. who made little like artisanal things and stuff. That's cool. Um, so yeah, I guess I didn't really know what I was doing there. I kind of just figured there was some, I had to be like there for some reason, or maybe I just didn't want to be back in the States. Yeah. I didn't want to go back. I don't know why it was like, I was a, some part of me was pretty afraid of like going back to the United States. Really? Just cause I don't know. There was some, some kind of momentum there that I felt, but didn't know how to explain. And, um, yeah. And it was, and that was, you know, I was there for a few months and then I moved in with this guy whose name was Julio, who was, uh, an artist in Valparaiso and he makes some really amazing art and his house is just full of, you know, everything that he, he made, he would kind of occupy his space with that. And so, you know, he was quite an inspiring dude to live with for, uh, for a couple of years and then moved in another place. But, but yeah, I guess, I guess I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. I think wanted, I guess the plan was maybe to go to grad school. I think before I went to Chile, I'd thought about being a professor or writing or something like that. Yeah. Um, the music thing was pretty much always in my life since I was really little that I wanted to be a musician, but there was a time when I kind of set that aside to just travel and I don't know, you know, discover myself or something. I don't know. Yeah. So you're, Um, so you're just wandering, right? You're like, you're going from place to place trying to figure out 
what's happening? Is there a like little a bit? I mean, I did settle in Valparaíso. I was there for a few years. Yeah. But I mean, at one point, I did do like a backpacking trip through South America. Nice. Um, that was about four months. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Is there a moment in Chile that you remember where? I don't know. You felt inspiration. Like you're like, I, okay, this is it. Like I need to do this thing. Kiltro. Yeah. I think, I don't know if it was necessarily attached to like the concept of doing something specifically named Kiltro with all the kind of ideas that I, you know, that I'm talking about now. But when I was working at this tour guiding job, I eventually got a promotion to like manage this bike and wine tour and, in, in a valley between Valparaíso and, and Santiago. And, uh, I worked there for a while and that was actually interesting because it gave me this sense of like, I was getting paid a bit better and able to live a little bit more comfortably because before Mm -hmm. then I'd just been, I was kind of like month to month and was living in a cool spot, you know, with my girlfriend at the time and, and one of my really close friends. And I realized that it was, it would be easy to continue with that lifestyle, but that I wanted to do something else. And so at one point I pretty much put in like my, my, my month notice um, and then just started writing a bunch of music. And then there was a period of a couple months where I was kind of coasting on what I'd earned and just writing things every day and staying at home and like workshopping these ideas. And that's where like the song Kilcho came from. I think the beginnings of Guriko were kind of written there. There's a bunch of other songs that we haven't actually released yet that were written there. And those were the fun, kind of first Kilcho songs. They were very folky. Like, you know, before that I'd been doing more ambient soundscapes and experimental stuff and then kind of found my, my home in folk then for a time just because I was like, uh, really into certain artists like Atahualpa Yupanqui, who's like this Argentine folk singer from the 50s, and then Victor Jara, Violeta Parra, who like both these kind of Chilean folk giants that uh, I listen to a lot. And so, yeah, they were kind of the first songs were sort of written in that vein. Mm. Yeah. So, to me, just from what I'm hearing, it sounds like at some point you're just like, this has been a part of me. This is what I want to do. This is what I know. And it was just kind of a simple switch like that. Was there like ever like a doubt or like, uh, that this wasn't what you were supposed to do? Or is it just like you were following your gut, you were following your impulse. And then all of a sudden it just made sense to start doing it. I feel like it just kind of made sense. I don't think I ever really deliberated over it. I think I always, when I started doing, I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm meant to be doing. This is what I want to do. That's amazing. I feel like you're pretty lucky. I feel like there's a lot of people who spend so many years trying to get to that thing mm-hmm. and it just came out of you so naturally. Well, it, it built up for a long time because I think I spent a long time, like even when I was traveling for those four months, I remember thinking that like I, w- I should be enjoying this more. I should be kind of feeling these, you know, feeling this out more. I should feel, and I realized that it was like I was gathering experiences, but I wasn't really doing anything with them. And after a while, all that kind of gathering was just starting to make me feel anxious or starting to make me feel like everything was falling into the space of like meaninglessness or something. And I was just kind of experiencing to experience and there was nothing to interpret there. And so I think it just, it got to a point that coincided with sort of like an ulterior motivation or dream to like actually be a musician, which is what I'd kind of been telling myself for some time or do something or make something. Yeah. Um, and so when I realized that like, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to work on the songs and I'm going to write a bunch of stuff and then I'm going to go back and be a musician. It just made sense and it was just really natural and it's just exactly what I did. So, And so you yeah. found like a sense of meaning and purpose in doing that and yeah. making these experiences into like through your own lens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that I went that. I mean, I spent so much time wanting to be a musician and be a musician and, and not actually doing it because I think that whole time I felt like I was just procrastinating it or like I was being lazy. But I think a part of me also knew that I needed to sort of 
to exist in that space for a while and live with like the desire to do something without doing it. And also just kind of restake a claim on my own, I guess, identity or my own roots or like this part of my life that had always been sort of there, you know, but had been immensely complicated because when I lived in the States, I always felt a bit foreign. I mean, I had a different home life and like my mom is. And where were you living in the States? I was living in Colorado. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, you're from yeah. Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, it was like here, there was like a feeling of being a bit, you know, not totally from here. Then I go to Chile and I would feel just as alien, which was kind of a problem because I'd been kind of identifying with like a kind of Chilean identity for so long that when you go to Chile and, and Chileans like just by like I went to, when I went to work in San Pedro, there was a guy who was born and raised in Chile, but lived in Utah for like four years. And he was the gringo before I showed up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, of course. You're like a super gringo at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely something that was like kind of, it was kind of hard to swallow and it took me a really long time to kind of figure that out. I was like, well, I talk like a Chilean and I, like I was, you know, my mom's Chilean and I've been coming here my whole life. Like, you know, um, but I think I needed to go through that. And I think choosing the name Kilcho, there was definitely something subconsciously like maybe uh, empowering about choosing a name that literally means, you know, something mixed because it was like a part of my own personality. I think on, on some level I had to like accept you know, mm. that I'd never be one or the other. I'd always be both. And there's a certain like ambiguousness to that. When did you come to that acceptance? Many times over and over again. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like, it would kind of come at one point and then I'd have some other sort of crisis of identity and then it would come back and become relevant <laughs> again. And then I'd have to get over it and I'd be like, all right, I'm good now. <laughs> yeah. And then two months later, you know, there'd be some passing comment or some random experience or event. Then I'd be all thrown into a, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. happened a lot of times. I think the first time was I had this this roommate in San Pedro who, like, I remember just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I was. It was like we were having this conversation where I was kind of grilling him about, you know, how people saw me or something. And I was never, like, super invested in that. But, like, it definitely had shaken me. It was I can't even remember what the specific thing was. But I remember he told me, like, you're never going to be one or the other. You're never going to be Chilean. You're never going to be, like, 100% American. Oh, just like. If you're always going to be in the like middle triggering comment right there. Yeah. But I mean, he was right. And I think that was, it was like the first time I remember being like, okay, I think you just have to accept that it's, you, you know, you don't need to be fully, I don't know. It's like, you don't need to exist within some kind of parameter in order to have a meaningful life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Or like a meet like an identity that is meaningful. I don't know. That's so interesting that like, it also just gives, you know, validity to sometimes you need people to just like speak a hard truth at you. Yeah. Or say something to you that's very direct. That's cool. That's cool that it like wasn't delivered in a way like that it's trying to like dance around your feelings or anything. No, he was very direct and very blunt. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> always like in every way. But um but yeah, um, but that, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was still kind of struggling, I think, with a lot of like questions of identity. Yeah. And I think going through that was really important because up until I'd kind of explored that that side of my life and that side of my identity, I think uh, I don't know that I would have been able to like make music that really felt like me or felt like that gave me the kind of catharsis that I, that I get when I make stuff now. Yeah. I think, um, Feels you know, genuine. Yeah. It's like, you know, you learn to kind of appropriate ideas and styles in the right way. 
and with a sense of purpose and direction and not just because you want to be this thing or be looked at or in a particular light. Yeah. Yeah. And that also goes with the name Kiltro, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you might've talked about this earlier, but it's, it's the, like a different spelling. Yeah. We changed this. Well, I changed the spelling just because, um, the Chilean spelling is uh, Q U I L T R O. Uh huh which in English sounds like Quiltro or something, which might've been oh, yeah, that's really annoying really to hear forever. Pragmatic yeah. So choice. we changed it cause I mean, that was really the only reason we changed it. <laughs> yeah. And then it was only after I like made the page and, you know, um, started playing under that name that I, that I discovered this like Chilean martial arts movie. That was the exact same name from the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Have you guys like fucked with people? And said it, your band's based off that movie and like gone on like a really long not rant. not yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you type great. in Kiltro now, now we actually I think we come first now, but just like the website comes <laughs> up, which is a huge milestone. No, I I know that with Soul Stories. <laughs> I type in Soul Stories to Google and it'll be like third to like some weird old white guy's book from like years ago. And right. Jeez, like, like I'm doing this right now. This guy hasn't done years, and you know, yeah, that yeah. Google search. That's an important milestone. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's break it open to the band. Sure. Yeah. How'd y'all meet? Is this the original crew? Is there somebody else that died off or no, this is the three, but it's a good thing. There isn't (laughs) that a really awkward. uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I met Will in, in college, um, at CU, um, CU Boulder. Oh, nice. And, uh, we just, we hit it off really quick and just had, you know, we had a lot of interest in common and just would talk about stuff all the time and hang out all the time. And, and then he was in a band then called Indian test pattern and another band called Bareface after I went to Chile and then Will went to Vietnam. And then we kind of, you know, started corresponding again while I was in London, which is like where my girlfriend at the time was from. And I was, I was Mm -hmm. there just kind of playing open mics and, and yeah. And then we made the plan to kind of join up together, join forces when, I returned to Denver, um, and that was supernatural. And then Michael was a friend of Will's from, from university, or I guess it was, I don't know how you guys met. I don't know how you guys met. <laughs> um, I could just pass it on to, to yeah, you guys. Pass it to, yeah, yeah, pass it to Will over here. Okay, let's introduce oh, the second character into the story. Oh, hi, that's me. <laughs> will Parker here. Hi, Will. Hi. Um, tell us about a little bit about your musical background, how you get to see you to meet Chris. Mm, well, born and raised in Denver mm-hmm. and I've uh, been playing music out and around town since I was 15 years old. Like local to this area and stuff? Yeah, I played uh, in the East High School jazz band. Nice, played, um, shout out to East High School. Yeah, that's right, Hey Lolo, Hey Lolo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. Oh, nine, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, East Angels, East High Angels, right? Hey Lolo. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yep. That's right. And um yeah, I mean, that, that was formative years for sure. The music teacher and director at the school was a guy named Keith Oxman, and he's amazing. He's okay. a saxophone player. And uh, at the time, he had or weekly gigs at El Chapultepec, which has cool jazz and hot burritos. Cool jazz. Says, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> as it says so on the side of the building. Does it still say that? It does, yeah. Okay. Although great. now the programming of the... Um, club is mostly rock unfortunately but at the time it was it still says cool jazz it does yeah but i mean it's it's an institution it's been there for many years yeah i mean it's old and dingy you know yeah and it was that way when we were there but and it was by no means it's prime you know but they were still having jazz shows there and uh, he'd invite us to come down and every friday night we'd go see keith oxman play saxophone with his group and most times it was a trio or quartet 
and um, they he just killed it. And he'd always invite us into the back room and between sets, you know. And when we were at the in the bar, we were never allowed to really stand too close to the bar with all the drinks because we were in high school and under twenty one. So as long as they right, shoved right. us into the corner by the bathrooms, we were cool. You know, it was like it was no problem. Like I was saying, he'd invite us into the back of the, you know, the, to the green room. And we'd sit there with Keith Oxman and whoever the musicians were sitting in with him at the time. And I remember sitting there and it's like, wow, this trumpet player, he's 80 years old. He's been playing music for a very long time. We're like, man, this drummer and Keith Oxman have been playing together for 20 years. Shit. Yeah. And I would hear their stories. It's older than you at the time. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. And I'd hear their stories and they were like so mesmerizing, especially jazz musician. I mean, the language of jazz is very much like a story from the way you solo. I mean, they're like recordings of like Cannibal Adderley or something turning over to his tenor player and be like, yo man, tell me a story. And then they bust into the whole solo. Wow. So, I mean, it's very, yeah, there's that lineage there. And I just would be sitting in the green room listening to these guys talk. And it's like, this is flipping amazing. You guys are so yeah. flipping cool. You're seeing these musicians, you're seeing how they communicate. Are you falling in love with like, like communication that happens in music? Yeah. Just the form of expression that it allows you and the kind of person that you can be when you live through music, you know, to express yourself on another plane and the ability to connect you know, I, I felt like I could understand and relate to an 80-year-old jazz musician who I would maybe have nothing else in common with besides having listened to his music and then talked about music afterwards. Yeah. And I just saw, like, the higher power of it, you know, and was so drawn to it. And I'd never been playing music for, I mean, many years. I mean, I started playing maybe when I was 11, 12. But when I really saw the commune of what it meant to connect with other musicians and also an audience, that's... And it was at that time, I think that's where the power lay. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's where you transcend you know, yeah that's, that's something that's really beautiful can you give language that like higher power that transcended music because like i think we all know the feeling but it's yeah. hard to identify i mean it exists outside of words i mean and you hear it when you listen or you're playing you yeah know? so i mean it's a hard thing to ever try and put your finger on yeah you know but yeah like you're saying we've all felt so it bad. we've all we've all heard it you know? <laughs> yeah and i think listening you can definitely get there listening you know yeah but i mean that's why i choose to play and i feel lucky that i've found the drive to play I mean, I feel like no per one person is inherently just talented, you know, like, of course, like we all have our abilities or whatever, but, you know, I, no one in my family necessarily played music. You know, I have some scattered uncles or some side family that maybe played trumpet here or there, but, you know, like, nothing like traceable. Like. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, my parents loved music because they're all time, but I'm the only one in my direct family that plays music. You know, that's so interesting. Mm hmm. So. Well, I think there's something to be said about that because when watching you three on stage, it's um, I'm really obsessed with relationships mm. and I just find your guys' dynamics so natural mm. up there. Like you're just, you can't, I can't tell you what it is, but I'm sure you guys feel it and I feel it. Like it feels like there's so much chemistry up there. Mm. Yeah. I feel it too. <laughs> Michael, what do you think? <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, jump in. So me and Will met. And you want to introduce yourself again? Yeah, okay. I'm Michael DiVincenzi. Again, I play drums. Yeah, me and Will initially met through a friend on Craigslist. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I was up in Boulder at the time, um, and I was just looking. I was kind of miserable because I wasn't playing enough music. It was something I had sort of lost in my life for a few years. Mm. Um, so just sort of wandering around and looking for um, an outlet. And so finally found a group called false peaks. Um, and it's our buddy Brent. And so I responded to his ad on Craigslist and then went and met Will and Parkhill and we started playing music together. Hey, all 
If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us through Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You get access to bonus podcast content, and it provides the Soul Stories team the necessary resources to bring you more episodes and sustain the many projects we are already creating. You can find a link in the episode description. Now, back to the show. Um, So you're from Colorado originally as well? I was at CU at the time. I'm originally from San Francisco, so that's where I grew up. And it's sort of a similar story, like playing in school bands and uh, uh, with friends outside of school. Um, So it was always there, and my grandfather was a jazz drummer. He sort of got me started. And so when I went to CU, I was playing in jazz bands Mm -hmm. um, and then stopped going to school and secretly continued to play with the jazz bands. (laughs) And then after a while, I got kicked out of the jazz bands because they were like, you're not going to school here. (laughs) You're not paying anyone. How long did you get away with that? Uh, Just under a year. Damn, <laughs> that's a, yeah, just under a year. I was I was wow. playing uh, with the, the jazz bands. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you're showing it. Yeah, so that that was honestly a blast, and that was kind of my only outlet at the time. Um, and then once I got kicked out of that, I was like, oh crap, what do I do? Um, so you that's didn't get I, your degree. You're just like, I'm gonna play no, music. No. Yeah, music was kind, was kind of always the dream, and I didn't really know how to go about that in school. It sort of, I didn't think that I should study in it. Um, I don't, I don't know why I can't explain it. Maybe, maybe I should have, but, um, yeah. So then, so then I found false peaks with Will and our buddy Brent and our buddy Dan. So um, Will was in false peaks. Yep. He was playing keys and anything else. Yeah. He was playing synth. Yeah. The SP 404. Yeah. And so we, we played for a few months together and then Will went off to Telluride and we continued to play outside of that band. Um, and yeah, then he went off to Vietnam. I continued to play with False Peaks and a few other friends up in Boulder and then down in Denver. And then he shot me an email. He was like, yo, check out what my buddy Chris is doing. <laughs> and so I heard the first single, Ophelia. Um, and I was like, whoa, I've never heard anything like this. And I actually remember I was visiting my friend. I was going to play on my friend's senior recital in Miami. Yeah. And I'm walking around Miami, this like foreign land to me, just like with headphones on, listening to Ophelia. I was like, whoa, this is a vibe right now. <laughs> Especially and in Miami. Uh, Miami's an yeah, intense yeah. city. No, it was it's all a very bizarre. Place yeah. To be, yeah. And then I came back and uh, I saw I saw them play a few gigs. Uh, we jammed a few times. And uh, I think at the time you guys were like auditioning drummers. Um yeah and then after a while it just like sort of clicked and we just started we were like all sort of feeling it out and then we were like let's do this let's like start playing together and so we started i can't remember what our first show was what was it oh yeah okay (laughs) yeah yeah you guys were playing at uh the roxy yeah it's syntax yeah so just the two of them were playing at uh at syntax which is now the roxy um and yeah, no percussionist outside of Chris's like hand hand drumming on his acoustic. And you guys are um, you're just like this band is horrible. Like I know how to sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, already buddies at the time, so no. But uh, <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, there's there's a there's something I could fill there. And so at a, I don't know during what song, but Chris just tossed me a shaker out in the crowd, and I just started playing along. <laughs> no way. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, so That's that was like a, a cliche movie or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> when we, <laughs> yeah, when we look back, that's kind of funny. And 
and then it actually happened at the following show you guys played at the denver bicycle cafe and i was just out in the crowd uh playing the shaker and so it was like i was sort of a part of the band but not really a a part of the band i I only show up for the show so we don't practice (laughs) um and then yeah it sort of came together and we've been playing together ever since what i'm curious because the front man and the lead guitar uh, who's lead guitar i never know how to do that okay and then do you call it will is it called rhythm guitar then okay what's it like being a drummer drummers don't get a big voice in music i feel like oh well yeah this band this band is actually very particular it's much different than anything i've ever played in um because sometimes you play in bands and time flows freely and as a drummer yes traditionally like you're supposed to be the timekeeper you're supposed to be this metronome you're like the um, anchor right like you're keeping things grounded yeah, yeah but it's a lot more than that when you start to develop like uh musical relationships with your friends and you you guys can all sort of flow together in this band um chris loops stuff so it becomes this thing where i'm not necessarily driving the rhythm i'm there to like become this auxiliary percussion and we sort of feed off of each other um but initially it was kind of difficult to follow someone else which was this looper it wasn't necessarily chris it was like this machine that like like, i had to follow yeah so that was that was all very new and bizarre and uh yeah as of recently it's become like very collaborative and i think uh we've been talking about this thing where now we sort of have like one foot in the digital world one foot in like the acoustic instruments and um that's sort of become the way where we can collaborate with each other because i have a drum pad now which has samples and stuff and yes i'm following along but it's yeah it becomes more natural and will and i have uh developed a more like traditional relationship with like drum and bass um where before he was also following chris but now we can sort of do our own thing and uh yeah it's interesting to me that like you two can work together separately from chris or like where if you're not just following where's chris following that equation then well chris lays down like the bass loop the percussion loop yeah and from there yes we are all following that but we do have our own our own like parts that we play um and so we can riff off each other and once you get used to that like internal rhythm once you just like get used to the looper it feels kind of natural and you can just play with each other like we normally do um and we have like normal song structure but um you feel each other's energy just like in any other band that's cool yeah can you pass it back to Chris? Okay, so let I want to catch back up on the narrative with this Vietnam. Vietnam was brought up before we started. What's the Vietnam story? Uh, that might be better answered by Will, actually. All right, pass it to Will. Back when I was in Nam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. You had to go with the Nam joke. I it love is, it. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I um, moved to Vietnam in, I guess, 2017, maybe 2018. Yeah, I don't know. So not long ago. Yeah, I've been back uh, more than a year now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I moved there to teach English. I didn't know if I wanted to be a teacher, what my path was going to be like. And I figured, you know, why instead, you know, like, why go to school, pay for a degree when the burnout rate for most teachers is three to five years, Yeah. pay all this money for school, get burnout and change my profession. So I decided, like, I'll kind of do a shortcut, you know, try an alt route. And so I did is I got a TEFL certificate, went to Chicago, did a class for a month, got certified went out to vietnam to teach this is all under like the background of like being incredibly heartbroken you know the girl i was living in with for all this time you know like 
were you split, you know? like long relationship kind of thing? Yeah, it was a whole thing, you know, um, but through college. Uh, no, not quite. Oh no, know? that would have been a little later, yeah. right? Oh well, no, before. After after, after college, college. Yeah, 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 and um, just the best thing I figured for myself was to heal myself, go on some sort of adventure, and have a purpose for it. And the purpose was to teach, and uh, I was there for a while, and it's a pretty lonely existence to be honest. I moved there not knowing anybody, you know, not having a job lined up, kind of like giving myself the test, like, can I do it? Like, what are you made of? God damn it. Yeah. You're strong. You can do it. I believe in you. Yeah. You know, and uh, found an amazing city to live in. A small town, you know, found an amazing what job. City? It's a place called Ningbing. Ningbing. Which, yeah, it's in the north cool. of Vietnam. And it's from, uh, or it's about an hour and a half south of Hanoi, the capital. Okay. And the most recent King Kong movie, or yeah, King Kong movie was filmed there. Oh, Kong no, Skull Island. Rock Johnson? Yes. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. no. I actually never saw the movie. Still to this day, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. But it's beautiful. Karshist, uh granite mountains everywhere. Oh, really wow. dense jungle, you know. Uh, the city itself is kind of strange. Um, it's very much under construction, being built up. Vietnam is going under economic development very fast you know well, lots of a stuff. strange history too very strange because of the genocide right yeah, uh well, and then just the war in general yeah 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 because yeah. there's like a like isn't there i was reading something like isn't there like a whole generation basically killed off yeah in the war yeah and um i don't know i found myself you know like how do i place myself then as, a, as an american in vietnam with this history and to be honest i found everybody be very friendly and very open, you know, and, um, a generation or two down the road. I mean, dealing with, you know, first graders, fourth graders, sixth graders, you know, yeah, that history obviously wasn't there, you know? And, um, that was interesting. So what was it like for you? You know, you're leaving this kind of heartbroken area. You're feeling Mm -hmm. socially isolated. Mm -hmm. I imagine music is probably not super a part of your life at this point. Oh, it was one of the first things I did is got, went out and bought an acoustic car. (laughs) Like I can't lose this. Yeah, totally. And that was fun. It's like, it was a mission, you know, especially in situations like that and places that are so foreign for me, what's really important is like to have objectives. Yeah. You know, it could be as simple as, you know, like, all right, I'm going to go out and find a cool guitar and spend the next like two weeks, like where are all these shops, you know, like going from place to place and like gives you purpose while you're still exploring. You know, I think it's really important. Another objective later was like, okay, um, where can I find the best, you know, bond me or something like that, you know, but like, yeah, yeah one of the first directives was where's the, where's the guitar? Nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, pl- I'd play there and it was fun, you know, and I actually got involved in some pretty interesting, fun musical experiences down in Vietnam. Uh, there's this one cafe that have, um, sort of, musical karaoke with live musicians okay i mean the karaoke culture down there is huge and i'm really? like yeah and it's a, it's a different sort of uh, experience than we're used to here very like how it goes down there is you rent out a small room and um just like a private party private party and a lot of the songs are really sad a lot of the songs that vietnamese people sang for me were were not the party bangers the party party starters they were like the lamenting you know like sad ballads Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> intense. What? <laughs> so you can imagine like going out on a Saturday night, you know, you're off school, ready to like have a few beers <laughs> and you're in a room full of people singing ballads, sad ballads and making really long eye contact with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, eye contact. Sounds yeah. terrifying. It was, yeah. But also really sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I found this cafe and they had would have live bands that would 
do the backing tracks and they just had catalog and they were young kids. They were my age, maybe younger, you know, and they just had an acoustic guitar, cajon and keyboard. Were you finding expats or not really? I mean, there was maybe 10 other teachers, but at this time, like people would come through travel, you know, but like not where I was. And I was, I was working six days a week in the beginning. So yeah. So I wasn't really out and about looking for that sort of thing, but um, so you're like with local musicians basically. Yeah, but the music scene wasn't very strong. This was like very much an oddity. And I went there to this this cafe and was shocked that something like this was going on. And I'm, as I'm sitting in the audience and I'm listening to them play, I was kind of watching them point out or there's some sort of a list, sort of like an open mic, yeah. where people would kind of come up and sing their song and the band would play the backing track for them. And after a few songs go by, I just see the guitarist in the band just stare at me <laughs> and just point. <laughs> You know, he's like just pointing at me. I'm kind of turning around, looking behind, side to side, and there's nobody. It's just you. It's just me. He's certainly pointing at me. Nobody else. I have no choice to go up on stage. Luckily, and little did he know, I had harmonica in my back pocket. Dang. Yeah, because I mean, I'd I'd (laughs) use that shit when I was teaching. Like, yeah, all the little tricks you need, you know. So like, I get up on stage, whip out this harmonica. He just looks at it, and I kind of just blow out a quick like blues progression. He's like, oh yeah, I know. Then he starts playing like a blues thing. And, and we just followed started, suit. Yeah, we just started playing a blues, and everybody hopped up, hopped, hopped on it really fast. And here I was in Vietnam, you know, a place very far from home with people I never met before, couldn't communicate with, and I was playing blues. It's pretty dope. And there was maybe wow, yeah, there was like maybe uh, that's a connection thing you were saying. Exactly, earlier. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're transcending the language barrier. Exactly, and I, I and I went back like every week to saw those like to see those guys, and every time I saw them, I was like, "Yo, you're my dude," you know, like there was an immediate connection, which was cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a room full of like 20, 50 people. It was probably one of the warmest receptions I've ever had. You know, I look at the foreigner on stage playing harmonica. People were stoked. You know, yeah, really they're fun. probably so surprised. Yeah, totally. I just knew I couldn't ever escape music, nor would I ever want to. Yeah, it's just 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 there. Yeah, and so Chris and I started talking again, and um, the time while you're in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. And at this point, like I was, I was definitely feeling lonely and isolated. And I forget how we started talking again because it had been a minute. But you know, I just Chris was there as a good friend. You know, it's like give me some advice. You know, like how to do the thing. You know, like carry on and um, just were, you know. In, in that you know and then he's telling me about what he, what he was doing and that was when he was in london recording ophelia and as he's recording ophelia like i sent him a song i'd worked on earlier you know and like this is and actually a song that had michael on it you know and that before i had left it's a song called san bernardo yeah oh michael so michael's on a track before all of this yeah yeah exactly yeah and so i sent that to chris you know and like chris kind of like checked it i was like cool man like you know give me notes and you know like encouragement and all this stuff you know so they could check out what i've been working on here's this song taken to the studio and like he had some sort of demo or something and i remember like just listening to the song and really being blown away and happy and you know like and i remember hearing a lot of the music that you were doing before chris and you know and it was a lot of like the folk tradition stuff stuff that i also really loved it was like stuff in the vein of devendra bainhart and stuff like that or maybe like more that's like tom york ballads or something of okay yeah and uh, i was like yeah it was like kind of how could i you know find a place in that you know i wasn't really sure i guess how i'd known you know his music before and as it had gone before we kind of like would listen to each other's music play along a little bit but when i heard ophelia you know the other tracks he's working on like it was a very much a different vein yeah you so what is, this is the this is the common thread is ophelia it is isn't this it? Yeah. song i mean that was the first one the first main single for everything i mean it's also the first song that cpr luckily found and was able to start playing and that a lot of the first people coming to our shows and still to this day it's a lot of, it's like one of the first songs people hear it's like there's 
there's something there in that song that's you know yeah what is it what is ophelia well chris can talk about what ophelia is a little bit more but yeah, uh just see, just real quick to, yeah, yeah, go to ahead, finish up this thing and uh, kind of what the entry was to collaboration for chris and i was as we were as you were sending me ophelia I was thinking, oh, this is great. I want to participate in some, in some way. But I was in Vietnam just with my dinky nylon acoustic guitar. And your harmonica. And my harmonica, which was made out of green plastic. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And um, I decided like the best route was the sample route, sort of the sample thing that I was doing with Michael and the Brent and False Peaks. And uh, What just, does that mean? What's the sample route? Yeah, so he was playing the song, and uh, just knowing the backstory and the message and all this stuff, I decided to start just laying very suddenly, just like went to free sound, got sounds of dogs barking in the background and they were kind of like ambience. And so you're not playing music. You're, you're like filling in the music. Yeah, exactly. Adding atmosphere, adding, adding world, world building. That's kind of like production, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're talking, we talk about world building and production a lot. Yeah. And, uh, definitely went pretty wild with the dogs at first chris can <laughs> tell you about that later but the first version i sent it was it was, it was crazy it was like it sounded like he's fighting them off it sounded like there's a pack of dogs going after him but he was like is <laughs> yeah and like and i was sending this him this to him not necessarily with the idea that it would that this would be the released version you know this was just like to communicate an idea you know like very strong idea you know at first yeah and like go, go big. but, but it, it's it's on the track now like you can hear the dogs and then also just this idea like i was kind of like had this funny like tongue-in-cheek across continent you know humor with him like you're literally building up a song right now so i added like weird construction noises and sounds of like ratchets and things like that to the rhythm of the song and the that ratchet chris ended up recording live in the, <laughs> really? in the studio yeah to the beat like to the two to the two and four, shh, shh, yeah, it's a ratchet wrench, yeah. And so those sort of techniques and that sort of way of thinking, like, is something that has still continued to this day and, like, will, is, has always been important in my musical career because it's just fun and creative. I mean, that's what, like, music shouldn't just be the guitar, bass, drums, right. ukulele, violin, whatever instrument you want to say. I mean, it's very much any tone, any sort of atmosphere they can put behind it. And so... Um, I, th I think that's something I really connect with in your music is I like, I look, I look for music that I feel like can surround me mm -hmm. that can like lift me to a place. And I feel like that's similar to what you're talking about. I yeah. feel very much alive in like the world you guys build when you're on stage, you know? Yeah. There's a lot to the world and a lot, a lot to the world of Ophelia, which I will now pass to Chris. Yeah. To talk about. Ophelia. Let's hear it. Uh, yeah. So Ophelia was actually the first song that I'd kind of written like looping. I mean, I'd written other stuff looping like years prior, but it's the first song that I wrote kind of coming back to the looper and sort of building things from scratch. And it actually was originally like a 12 minute thing with like three different parts and it was really elaborate. And then um, when I went back to London, uh, I didn't, I mean, I brought, oh, no, I did, I did bring the looping stuff actually. Yeah, I did. Cause that's when I started playing uh, looping live. Um, and Ophelia was kind of one of like the, the, the really early ones. And, uh, yeah, it was just like a song about like an unrequited relationship. And it was like the Ophelia reference was like a vague, like, I loved the way that, I mean, I just liked the, I just liked the way it rolled off the tongue and the way that it worked kind of like syllabically in the, in, in the lyrics. But, um, it was also, you know, this kind of like, sounds like so 
pretentious or something but it was like yeah, this like like hamlet reference <laughs> but it wasn't like an i wasn't trying to actively like foreground that so much it was just like that like famous unrequited relationship i don't know between yeah. ophelia um was there a personal inf- inspiration in that or is that just like i mean it could have been inspired by like the long distance thing you know because oh, okay. i was in a long distance relationship at the time and so you know a lot of the lines were kind of inspired by that and then the main hook is ophelia loves you so but I, I guess originally, like, I, it was the first, my first experience kind of in, like, working with a producer and, like, in a studio and recording everything kind of from the ground up. And so I learned a ton in that process. And it's definitely a lot more stripped back than the stuff that we did later. But that was just, I mean, I'm just really glad that I did that song with a person that I did it with. His name was uh, Moises Zetina. And, like, and he was uh, actually of Mexican descent. He lives in, in London at a, and he works at a place called the Chamber Studios. Yeah, he was just really receptive. I think he understood what I was going for intuitively and like was really diligent about capturing the sound that I wanted to, but but you know, kind of keeping me in check with certain ideas and I think, you know, just in the studio, I I sort of realized that like any decision that you're not present for, you don't realize in that moment needs to be made is going to be made for you. And I think that's kind of like a an ethos that that we brought into Creatures of Habit as well just because there's that sense in which if you're not actively there for for every moment and like green lighting this or that or kind of making you know situating everything into like a meaningful context and someone else is going to come along and do it you know so, so it was like a process of sort of figuring out what it's like to work in the studio and also like bringing an idea to life and i remember when we first finished it part of me loved it and part of me was like this is not exactly the original idea but you sort of lost sight of that and i think bridging that gap has has been sort of the next phase i suppose that we kind of got to work on and what do you mean like the next phase of ophelia no the next phase of like musically just in general of kilcho you know i think that recording process was really just educational you Mm. know and we put so many textures and sounds into the into the album because you know you just realize when you put something out like it's just out there now and I have to sit on it and I have to sit with all the decisions that I didn't make or that were sort of kind of made for me. And luckily Ophelia was a song that, you know, I was lucky enough to, to have had like the opportunity to work with a producer, um, right off the bat who understood the concept and understood the idea. But I guess there was this feeling that it could have gone in another direction and, and I just didn't know what that process was like. So it was definitely really important, I think, in, in the mentality that we had going into the studio for the album. Um, but yeah, I love that song. Finally, I can like kind of listen to it again. You know, <laughs> there was like a period of time after I came out with it that I just, you know, obviously in the studio, you listen to the same, the song so many times and like, yeah, I've are you heard, just numb to it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, like I have a friend of mine who also was a musician or he used to, he used to make like, he made like EDM and he said, um, he said, not that that's not like music. <laughs> that was like a weird binary I set up. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But he, uh, he, no, he was actually really good. He kind of described that process as over time, like the song has less of a capacity to like produce dopamine in your brain. So it's oh. like that, in, that sense of instinct and intuition has to play so much more of a central role because you literally aren't enjoying the song in the same way anymore. And you have to kind of trust your memory of the emotions that it, that it arose in you about from certain moments. And, and I mean, there is still a relationship you can, you can, you can have with what you're working on but i think as more time goes on it gets kind of more and more difficult to like motivate that that relationship um with meaning and make decisions on that basis how do you stay in that state of like inspiration like do you just like have to be like i'm just like now it's time i'm calling on it like 
we just got to make the fucking thing or is it like yeah. there's like a nurturing to it there's definitely like there's de- you definitely have to have those moments where you're like we're done with this aspect of it because we're just strangling it now um uh, yeah but i think beyond that like it's about leaving it and coming back to it and it's about it's like there's another part of your kind of self you know that's that's listening to it in a neutral way and in a way that that you can rely on you know i think the bad decisions happen when you are trying to kind of shoehorn an idea into a song even though it isn't working which is something that i'm a little more prone to than will is for example i think will has like a really good radar for when something is working and when it isn't um regardless of whether the idea is new and, and inspiring um so that was obviously really useful to have in the studio because i think will and i we have a great dynamic when we're you know co-producing stuff just because he has that kind of sense of being able to give us this like immediate compass of like this is affecting me in this way we've lost momentum here whereas i'm like no no but this idea is really great you know and if it's not working it's not working um so i don't know it's just like it's a slow process and you'll like kind of put something into it and then you can just sense even even after you've passed that point where the song is no longer kind of inspiring you in that same way you can tell when there's something off and you just have to kind of be very aware and very like accepting in a way it's almost like humble in the face of the thing like like it's outside of you yeah you just have to look at it and say like you know what i mean even like be able to make the difficult decision or let go of the thing that you wanted for it and it's like the desire to contrive something is on the one hand like a creative effort but it's also the, the 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 main thing that can kind of like shoot you in the foot i think too you know if your process is just much too forced or it's too it's so deliberate that the ideas are coming first and like reality is almost coming second in which case the song itself is not going to communicate what it's what you want it to communicate mm. you know except to somebody who happens to know what your idea was you know so just being able to like check in with like what it's actually doing and how it actually feels and and to be in touch with that part of yourself that's just sort of from a space of like neutrality kind of absorbing what's happening and, 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 and what you're hearing, um, is really important. And that's why it's good to work with people that, that have a certain sense of like, I don't know, I guess just authenticity with regard to their relationship to what they want to make, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's interesting that I felt like I could find connection in what you were just saying. Cause like I work with kids been through trauma. I put on the soul stories thing and all my waking time. This is my big creative project. And that sense of neutrality, that word neutrality stuck out to me. Cause that is the thing I try to approach both aspects of, or both jobs with is like, how can I take myself out of the equation? And like, how can I just be attuned to what this thing is or who this kid is or what's happening, what's needed rather than like, what do I want? Or like the grasp. Yeah. Which is a really hard thing to balance. Cause it's like a daily fucking battle. You know, you wake yeah. up feeling like I'm about to grasp onto something, you know? So it's a difficult kind of thing to maintain that relationship, you know, with like your own sense of like indifference. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is kind of, I don't know, but I think it's important too. You have to be able to like sort of check in and be able to look at things from like a perspective that's as objective as it can be. Um, while at the same time not losing yourself, which is a peculiar thing. Yeah. I think the idea is like to construct and, and make something that is like self-motivated and that's individualistic and that has your kind of like mission stamp or your kind of individuality kind of included in that. But then once it's out there as a kind of box or a structure to like infuse it with things that, that you know, just with reference to like that kind of um, communal logic and, and unfolding and be able to sort of feel it as it progresses from like an outside perspective 
right? It's like, it's interesting because I think there's, there's a, there's that way of creating, which is very personal and very emotional where something's kind of pouring out from the inside. And then there's, there's that, that the other half of it, which is where you've kind of built this thing and you have to almost creatively approach it from this sort of neutral and, and non-identity perspective like this interesting just being able to look at it as this thing and pour your creativity into it without that creativity being filtered through like you know who you understand yourself to be or what you're going through do you do you see that as the do you see that as the audience huh <laughs> <laughs> oh okay <laughs> Just a play by play. Will was poking his finger gently in Michael's ear <laughs> and he liked it. That's what Will said. Or nice. that's what Michael said. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely going to be at the headline. We're going to, that's the only thing we're going to edit to the front. <laughs> um, okay. So something I observe at your shows too, um, I'm inserting myself so much into this more than usual because I'm just it's such fun, a fan yeah. of you guys. I'm like half fanboying and like trying not to get into that <laughs> mentality. The audience there feels like it's not your music. It's their music. Like when yeah. they're dancing and they're playing, like you guys might as well not be there. Like the whole audience Damn. is so invested <laughs> in the experience that's happening. Yeah, And that is really cool because I think we've all been to shows where you, that's not the case and it's very much just about the band hmm. and and i wonder if it i wonder if you can speak to that if you even have thought about that or i mean i think i think we're definitely trying to like you know fill the room with sound and have it be a kind of experience for everyone there yeah um i think that just comes from knowing you know or trying to be aware of when something is working or when it's not working or when we when we've lost momentum or when you know it's like you when you ask yourself those questions a lot like i think the kind of experience you you try to craft is one in which people are 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 like actively invested in the thing and can feel kind of the current sort of moment to moment um instead of just expecting them to abstract their way into into like feeling the song out and and identifying with it on some level do you take that so, into like thought when you're when you're creating the song like do i do i think it like how do, you do you think mean, about like, the audience experience in the creation of the song i guess so i or think no. so i don't know i think in early on it's definitely melodies that are affecting me but i also kind of feel like the things that affect me most are things that i feel like have like stuck a kind of landing or something mm. you know that like oh that's the, that was a poignant way to put this you know it's like when that has kind of passed that that threshold then that feels really good and it's just about infusing the songs with as many of those kinds of moments as you can right so i guess then it's just really about whether or not i'm you know you feel good in it yeah or like if how close in line my own perspective is that with like an imagined audience i don't know i guess in the it depends because at different phases i'm sort of putting my focus into different things when i'm first starting it is definitely like a very personal thing right um but as it progresses you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I, I saw this like round table discussion with a bunch of directors and they were saying like, do you make stuff for yourself or do you make it for an audience? And one of them said, no, I, well, I make it for me. And then another director, I can't remember who it was. I think it was like, this is always the big battle. I feel like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And you know, and there was another person sat at the table who, who said, you know, effectively like, of course you make it for other people. Like you're making something that people are like entering into a theater to watch. If it, if it wasn't for them, it wouldn't exist. And that's true of language, you know? I mean, it's yeah. at once personal and it's also communal, you know, the, like you're, you definitely, 
I think the things that are the most poignant are the, the, I mean, for me, it's like those moments when you've put something into a kind of language and managed to communicate it and there it is. And it has that kind of a capacity to be affecting and also personal, right? It's like that, that kind of middle ground between a new statement that's poignant and then something that is, is participating in a kind of like, I don't know, just like group, yeah, group it, logic or group. It sounds intuitive to you. Almost like there's a feeling of when you're too in yourself and there's a feeling of when you might be too outside yourself. And then it's like, you just like kind of know when that thing feels right. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah. I wonder if that's what, I don't know what we're checking in with when we're listening to something and saying like, Oh, this is affecting me or it isn't affecting me. Yeah. I think, will you check in with yourself a lot? I think you check in with your own kind of sense of, you know, but of course that's also largely like, um, something that is, is, uh, communicable among a variety of people something that we all sort of share is that ability to f- sense when that momentum is is rising and when it's falling um i just think there's like so many different kind of moments in the process of creating a song and of course there's a language to music too like yeah. there is like an emotional language and it is different from just explaining to somebody how you feel it's like a, you know there's there's an emotional logic to every kind of melody you know i mean there's emotional logic to, to chords and harmonies what a and cool i think tapping world. into that yeah. is like yeah that's amazing. Yeah. And I think you have to be in a very open state of mind to, to, to be able to channel that. And I always think, I, I mean, when I'm writing, I always try to be in a, a, some, a, a kind of like meditative place. And I think that's where looping does like a really great service to me too, because it's like that repetition and that sense of focus and the fact that like I physically have to be extremely aware of what's happening and like have my timing really spot on and, and, you know, switch this at this moment, this like checklist of things to the extent that like my mind is so preoccupied with that, that something else kind of pushes through. Um, and it, and it, it just helps me get into a certain sort of meditative open place. Cause when I'm, when my mind is going, it's always going <laughs> and it's like hard to like kind of stop and, and just be and like let something else kind of, you know, another sort of emotional experience, like just well up and, and, and come out, you know? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if I answered that question at all. I mean, it's, it's just (laughs) exploration, you know? Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's, I think the language of music is fascinating because it's a language that we all love and want to understand and et cetera, et cetera. But like, I mean, as musicians, you guys are just privy to playing in it and like as audience, we're just, you know, observing and trying to feel ourselves in it. And yeah, it's an interesting back and forth that occurs. Yeah. I think like structurally there's a lot of stuff that we do that actually lends itself to a kind of like live experience that's really distinctive and that was almost in a lot of ways like somewhat accidental too. I mean just the fact that we're building the songs via looping um, it creates these like moments in like the intros where there's like this kind of jam bandy thing and like not jam bandy but like we kind of have these long builds where things are being added in and there's new textures yeah. and you're getting used to what was there before and sort of getting into this space of like trance but then there's new elements and sudden changes and things like that was in part deliberate. I think deliberate in the sense that we recognize that it's like enjoyable to like build a song in that way and to sort of have it unfold in that with that particular kind of like unexpectedness and also, you know, mixed in with a lot of structure. Um, and, uh, and on the other hand, it's just like, you know, when you come across something that's like a bit, uh, unconventional in terms of like our, our band dynamic is, you know, we're using a drum pad in the way that most bands don't use a drum pad drum pads a lot of times are used as like backing tracks they trigger tracks that go on the whole time or they send out a metronome to all the band members and then everyone can you know can keep time um but because i'm building the loop and the drum pad and the loop are not synced 
Michael has to like tap in the tempo of, of, of the song into the drum pad, which then changes the size of the drum patterns and, and, uh, and samples. Right. So I hope that's not like too convoluted of an explanation, but what that means is that when he triggers <laughs> those samples, <laughs> when he, when he triggers those samples, they have like a human feel, right? There's something like he's, he's hitting them at different moments and they're, and they're kind of coming in with like a little more swing or a little less or whatever, but they have like a Rather precision, like but then like it feels like track. a person is playing them. And, and that was another thing that was like by virtue of the, of the, the materials we were working with. And the fact that there was, that we're building off of a looper, it's just almost this like accidental kind of blessing of a thing that that I personally really like about the the live shows is that there's even with the drum machine sounds um, there's like a human element behind them. You'll trigger them for like one or two, in the last only like one or two bars because we can't do much longer otherwise they risk falling out of time with a loop. Yeah. Um, but then there's just like this kind of almost interactive quality between us. I think with with that. And as Michael said, like the looping thing is on the one hand like a very specific kind of structure. And in the beginning, I think there was a certain sterility to it. Um, but now there's all sorts of stuff that we're kind of doing to like interact off of each other. Like I'm sending, I guess, MIDI information to Will. So uh, he can also loop that, you know, loop so that it's, it stays in time with, with my looper. And we're about to make it so that Michael can also record loops of, of drum patterns and also sample what Will's doing into his drum pad. So it's like we're all feeding each other audio and then in a live setting and like that's, that's kind of where we're going next i think is to make it like to really lean into the looping thing but with the most kind of organic and dynamic and moving that's like mentality so like and building the music at the show yeah because i mean we already do like that replaying like, what you might have built in the studio yeah we never we never just record play um you know we don't do backing tracks and we like we build the song on the spot the only things that we bring in from the outside are like a one measure maybe like sample or like drum pattern or something that michael needs to like uh tap the time and to like adjust the size depending on what the what the original loop is so like that it's all we it was just like the whole goal of it was just to build something on the spot and have it be unique to like the moment and also feel very human and feel like you know this is this is happening right now and it's unlike other times that it's happened which I imagine keeps the music like fresh and fun and goes away yeah, from what you it were it forces like. me to focus. I think if we just, you know, had a bunch of samples and things that we had recorded beforehand and we're just triggering all of them live and kind of playing along. Oh, um, man. When I'm at shows it would have like felt that, really sterile. Yeah. It just makes me want to just jump off the third floor. Yeah, I mean, I've seen acts that just like press play on their laptop and then sort of play their instrument, <laughs> yeah. you know, over the top of it. And that's fine if you can do that right, you know. Right. I mean, if there's a way that there's a kind of interaction there that gets kind of foregrounded in the process and like people can, I don't know, but I just personally much prefer to like have that a, the challenge of like doing it all actually on the spot and then B, it just makes you feel more invested in it and makes you feel like every show is different and every show has the possibility of, you know, really nailing it and other, you know, some songs you do and some songs you don't, but yeah, I think it's an important aspect of the, of the live performance at least. That's amazing. I want to bring uh, Michael back into it. Yeah. Back into the conversation. Is there anything that you've heard said so far that you kind of want to add on, maybe amend, maybe they were lying about things and you want to call them out or, (laughs) (laughs) or anything like while you were sitting there, you had reactions to it. Basically what Chris was just saying is just something that we're really excited to do because the loopers, obviously Chris has been looping this whole time. Mm-hmm. but it has the potential to free me and will up to really add more textures and build a world with him. So when we get to the point where I can 
throw a whole drum loop in that I was previously just playing the whole time. It allows me to maybe play synth over stuff or add more uh, textures and play percussion. So that's something we're super excited about. That's definitely the next step. And we're trying to work it all out because honestly, the technology is posing like some difficulties. It's it's hard to sync all of us up. And yeah, I imagine gonna, your sound system and your setup is just... Yeah, it's becoming quite elaborate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also going to be a learning curve for me to play, you know, as a drummer, I use both my feet. So if I am triggering a loop, it's like, where's my third foot at? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got, get, like, I got another a, drummer to like, go yeah, yeah. And, like hit the button. Yeah. I'll have, yeah. Pedal <laughs> monkey. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Potential opportunity. Business opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Um, Craigslist. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm super pumped about. That's going to add a whole nother aspect to the live show for all of us. And really that's going to be more like interaction while it like it is digital interaction but it's we're utilizing this technology and i think a new way to all of us mm. so yeah I'm, I'm real pumped about it that's cool yeah yeah what's the human human relationship aspect of this do you guys like each other uh, um, not particularly <laughs> it's more of a musical thing just yeah it's strictly business here <laughs> yeah. um nice. no i think that's why i think that's why it works so well like I don't think any of us would be doing this. Like maybe Chris would be doing it on his own still, but you know, like he had this buddy that will that was interested and will knew me. And if we weren't friends, I don't think we'd be putting in these hours. Like it is, it is a very unique project and it's exciting to be a part of something with your friends that sounds different. And, uh, and then to go out and play for friends, like yeah, it's a whole community thing. Um, and like without our friends supporting us, you know, that's like a whole nother aspect of it uh, that has been huge because we just played our first show outside of Denver, you, you know, up, up until last as a, as a full band, as a full band. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Will, Will where, and Chris played a few shows in Chile. Where did, um, uh, where did you guys play? Uh, we played at Lulu's downstairs, which is in Manitou Springs, just outside Colorado Springs. Oh, nice. Um, and we actually saw some support out there, but yeah, up until that point, it was just sort of like, uh, friends of friends tell tell other people and it's built up in a very natural way so i think if we weren't friends to start it probably wouldn't work out how do you guys how do you guys just like manage the stress of like the natural stress of relationships do you know like i don't know if you guys have experienced that um i'm always curious about this with bands because you know everyone loves the band broken up story etc cetera, etc cetera. but like just being friends, being sharing space together. What do you guys do to just like keep cool with each other? You know, I mean, person to person varies. You know, mm-hmm. for me, there's yoga, like yeah. <laughs> there's meditation, there's weed, there's yeah. tea, <laughs> there's music, I mean, anything. But I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to as well. I mean, especially in, in the recording process, is was when I was experiencing experiencing this the most. I mean. You, you just have to step outside of yourself and like, it goes back to the same thing with teaching, you know, like, uh, you know, like there's so many ways that you can insert yourself and make it about you and the way that you want to grasp or take control or whatever. But if you're participating in something that's larger than that, you can easily let that go, Uh, you know? And and therefore, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It feels like a good philosophical exercise too. I mean, like it's part of also like blending, dropping and letting go of ego too, you know? And like, I don't know. There are plenty of moments where you could get angry and up. Like, what does it serve? How do you actually participate in something greater? I guess. 
Yeah. No, that's a really cool answer too. Chelsea. Do you guys know Chelsea? Mm-hmm. She wanted to say, I, I hope you know her because she wanted me to tell you yeah. just hi. So. <laughs> hi, Chelsea. Um, I wish she, you were here. Yeah, I do too. She's the creative director of Soul Stories. And we, we get in these like matches. Like I don't know if you saw that whiteboard, but we're like I, ideating on that whiteboard. Like all, Like every day we have new ideas, new things coming. And like we get in these like arguments and we're like, no, fuck you. No, fuck you. Like and we have those moments and then we come back and it never feels like our feelings get hurt because there is something bigger at play and we can come back and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have spoken like that. And Mm -hmm. the other person be like, yeah, I understood where I was coming from though. Yeah. And I mean, the end is like, guys are my dudes, you know, it's very much like brothers, you know, like you can get in arguments, but like there's a different understanding, you know, like just knowing each other for a while, you know, it's, it's, you can take things personally, but it just, I know it's not necessarily malicious because there's like just an understanding and it's like, you know, I gotcha, you know, there's like a big feeling of trust between you guys. Definitely. So that's amazing. It's pretty cool. Cool. I love it. I want to ask each of you the question, what does Kiltro mean to you? And um, you want me, you want me to start and keep it like thirty seconds type length. <clears throat> what does Kiltro mean to me? Um, well, I won't go into what Chris already talked about because that's the whole thing. Um, but to me, it means uh, a world. I guess it means a place to express, get up and dance, feel, and play music. You know, and like explore all the, the endless possibilities of, of what it means to be playing music to push myself you know mm. and also for me like i can't speak to what cultural means to other people but also for me it's purpose i actually put in my month's uh, notice at work today and we'll be nice. working full-time for a while so what cultural means to me is passion dedication determination and purpose man you so. must have built a resume that you <laughs> recited those words off perfectly <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah awesome so, that's that's me cool um yeah i'm i am just really excited to explore like un well yeah uncharted territory at least for myself mm. um just try new things that i never thought possible um explore new instruments new like technology and and use it in a way that like we've always used mu- music to just like express yourself mm. um which is just so exciting and to do it for people and to make music with my friends. Like that's, that's the dream. So, um, yeah, it's, it's happening with Kiltro. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does Kiltro mean to me? Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've gone into it a lot, but, uh, but I think if I had to, I guess sum it up, like, Oh, I'm just going to end up like kind of rehashing what Will said a little bit, but like that sense of purpose, you know, I've gone through a lot in the last year in particular, um, a breakup and among other things. And, and I feel, um, that this project has definitely given me a sense of kind of, um, it's given me sort of the playground to kind of explore my, my interests and, and, and to do them in a way and explore those interests in a way that is kind of specific to my own way of thinking and my own way of processing and, um, there's a certain freedom in that as well, where we can, you know, take it where we want to take it and, and, um, use the kind of techniques that feel the most relevant. I just love the idea of having, you know, kind of invented a certain, 
thing that we then have to occupy with meaning and to and and to execute in a particular way there's just so many levels at which i feel like i can dedicate my focus whether it's on the level of the looping and the switchers and and figuring out how to how to how to pull off this or that sound or the textures of the effects and everything or you know in terms of the the presentation the lyrics and like the conceptual basis and then on a larger level kind of the world in which it all fits um it's just occupying every kind of facet of my creative energy and so i guess for me it's it's you know identity and purpose that's mm-hmm. kind of what it what you know is a is a part of it and not that you know i don't have an identity outside of kiltro you know and the and the work and the project but it's given um a sense of 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 purpose and 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 it's just informed so much of how i understand mm. myself in the world you know and and out actively in the world is um and and i guess that's that's what it is for me thank you and my uh, you. my mentor um and therapist always said like finding your purpose is like the 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 purpose or the because you find your purpose you discover parts of yourself you grow mm-hmm. you challenge yourself and you become who you were meant to be because of that purpose yeah yeah um, so thank you guys for sharing all that yeah, and then just to finish it out um what are we promoting get on the marketing yeah scale all right all right um yeah creatures a habit we uh we just put out our our debut album that was on july 6th um it's called creatures of habit um and it's on all platforms. If you have one of those Spotify machines that just listens to songs over and over again, just add up those listens there for Kiltro. Yeah, please do that. <laughs> Definitely please do that. <laughs> yeah. All those <laughs> listens are just Kiltro listening. Yeah, we've been, uh, you know, been, been, we feel really great about it. We put a ton of work into it. It took about nine months to record. And so we really hope that people give it a listen and give it the time of day. And um, we got a lot of other stuff coming as well. Working on a video. We're playing the Denver Biennial here on the 28th. We got nice. a headline show at the Roxy in November, um, among some other things that are in the works as well. Tour? Um, World tour? Europe tour? <laughs> Russia? We're actually Eastern we're looking Europe? at touring here very soon, hopefully. But those 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 plans are still kind of in the works. We're kind of waiting for the right, I guess, representation and and uh, planning and opportunities. Um, Taking we wanna, it slow. Yeah, we just want to make sure we're not, you know, playing a bunch of kind of dive bars in various places around the country and losing a bunch of money. And not that we wouldn't want to be packed into a car together for for a couple months at a time. That just sounds awesome. But uh, <laughs> um, but we just want to make sure that we do it right and that we are going to to you know go into places where where we can you know, do our proper sound check and deliver the, the the sound and experience that we've been cultivating all this time. So. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it takes some time, but you know, we'll, we'll definitely be on that train here soon. Cool. Well, look out for Kiltra and last word, fire, rapid fire round. You guys oh. each get one more word. Hot potato. You have to say into the mic. <laughs> Hot potato. Me say day, me say Thanks. <laughs> That's my word. All right, you heard Kiltro here. <laughs> All right, thank you, uh, thank you guys for sharing your story. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so much love to all of your success and your journey. Thanks so much. Thank you for taking time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. These conversations are very special to me. After each one, I feel more connected to myself and the community our team is building. 
I hope you were able to walk out with something for your own life and the journey you are on. I would love it if you could leave a review or share this episode with someone you care about. It all helps soul stories grow and make the impact we hope to make. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.